Today's passage comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Hear now God's word to us. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these little snippets along the way, these historical eyewitness accounts of how you engaged specific people and change the dynamics of whole communities, all by the power within you yourself. And so we say thank you for your son Jesus and how he guides us into life, life abundant. May we have the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and a heart willing to trust, and so follow into that path of life. Thank you by the power of your spirit for hearing us and for guiding us even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, one of the gifts of having global church partners um, as a church is that you get to hear stories of what God is doing around the world. And it was not too long ago where one of our church partners, um, Elam, which seeks to share the gospel with those in the Middle East, had a representative at our Leewood campus. And he told of a recent interaction. There was an evangelist who was invited into the compound of a Taliban warlord who was known for his ruthless behavior. And his reign of terror, it was actually known across the area. He had no idea if he was gonna make it out after he was introduced, thinking to himself, maybe this is a trap, maybe it's not. But he went, why? Because if anyone is eager to know the gospel, then no one should have the gospel withheld from them. And so he walked in to this Taliban warlord's headquarters and he shares the gospel with this gentleman. And to his surprise, the man actually embraces Christ. Now, what does a Taliban warlord do when said Taliban warlord embraces Jesus? I mean, he's a man of action, right? He's a leader. And so this is what the man does. He immediately sends people to Kabul to find the landowners of the land that he had stolen from surrounding folks, and he restores all of it. The evangelist he didn't tell him to do this, like, oh, this is required to follow Jesus. It's just suddenly like this Taliban warlord understood that in order to follow Jesus, this is what it meant and this is what it looked like in daily activities for him. And people throughout the area, they heard and they saw a land being restored and they saw that Jesus was the one who was behind it. And the whole area was astounded at what happens when Jesus gets the hold of someone's heart, their life, and the very community. Now, as shocking as this story is, this is what King Jesus does. And frankly, this is how his kingdom breaks in. 
You see, if you're joining us uh, for the first time or you've been kind of been out of the practice of joining us online and you're re-engaging, we are walking through the gospel account of Luke, where Luke gives us a historical eyewitness account of who Jesus is, what he has come to do, and the kingdom that he is ushering in. And so as we follow Luke's account, we are seeking to rediscover Jesus's kingdom. Now, we often think of Jesus as a personal pal, but in reality, he's much more of a cosmic king. And throughout history, the world has been aching for someone such as this. The prophets throughout the Old Testament have been pointing to a said Messiah, an anointed one, a king to reign. The king has many titles, as we see across the gospel accounts, known as the suffering servant, the Messiah, the Christ, the son of David, Lord, and yes, even the son of man. But all are pointing to the same king who's ushering in this dynamic kingdom. And Luke is going to great lengths to show us who this King Jesus is and what he's like. For his kingdom is the reality where his rule, which is his purposes, his values and desires, where those prevail in everyday life, in every part of life. And so far we've seen how to enter the kingdom. We've looked at one of the greatest obstacles to entering the kingdom. And today we read an astounding feature of King Jesus. We read the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's the conclusion, the climax of the narrative that was just read for us. And what's astounding, com it's an astoundingly comfortable thought that many actually think that the gospel, uh, that Luke himself is, is putting this as the central verse to his, his whole historical account of Jesus. Simultaneously though, in the same way we saw in the Taliban warlord, this is what we come to discover, that when the king finds you, his kingdom agenda is to save more than you. You see, when the king finds you, his kingdom agenda is to save more than you. It's not less than you, but his kingdom agenda covers more than just my soul, more than just your soul. It's that good. It's that robust. And to discover that, I want us to open our Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Why don't you go ahead and do that now or open your Bible apps to Luke chapter 19. Now, as we step into this passage, we come to see that Jesus' reputation is growing. It's not too long after this that Jesus enters Jerusalem with cheers of celebration of him being the promised king. It's as if everybody's beginning to recognize that he's the true Messiah, the true promised king to come and to usher into God, uh, God's kingdom for God's people. And wherever Jesus, wherever Jesus went, he brought honor to that particular place. And in a deeply collective culture of honor and shame, to have him stay in your house would be one of the highest honors possible. I mean, even now, maybe we get this a little bit more in COVID where we're pretty choosy as to who gets to enter our living space. I loved this doormat, you know, um, as a great example of the realities in which we're pretty choosy as to who we let into our COVID circle. It's a huge honor to be invited into someone's home. And it's a very select few that we do indeed invite in. Well, when we come to the passage in chapter 19, verse 1, with that as the backdrop, we read, He entered Jericho and was passing through. More than likely, this means he'd actually walked through the whole of Jericho and then circled back around, which would have frankly been a little disappointing. It's kind of like if you saw Patrick Mahomes and he was just passing through on his drive and is massively, that's massively different than Patrick Mahomes actually coming in to eat at your house and to hang out and to have this moment. It's like if you're expecting him to come and stay and he just drives right on through, that's disappointing. And so the question remains, to whose house does the king go? 
Well, we're then introduced in verse 2 to a gentleman by the name of Zacchaeus. And frankly, we discover he's anything but a gentleman. Two things we come to discover about him. One, he is the chief tax collector. He's the top dog, and he's very, very wealthy. The only way a tax collector gets to be rich is by demanding more than what is owed to the government and then pocketing the excess. In other words, he's adding a greater burden to those who are paying taxes. And so they're as slimy as Ghostbusters goo, right? These are the kinds of folks that everybody loved to hate. They considered them unclean. They, they lied to them at collection time, and that was considered okay in the broader moral code. They were the worst kind of traitor. And yet, we see that he still wants to see Jesus, but he can't. Why? Well, he's short. Sure, but that's actually not the main reason why he can't see Jesus. More than anything, it's because he's hated. Normally, a person of power and riches would have always had the right of way, culturally, but this crowd will not make way for a tax collector. And so he's unable to see. In fact, actually, Zacchaeus, he's taking a great risk in order just to be able to take a glimpse at Jesus. A small, despised person wading into a large, hostile crowd is at high risk of assault or even assassination. But he won't stop seeking. So much so that he runs and climbs a tree. And you just got to understand how humiliating this might be. This is kind of like if Michael Bloomberg was running down Manhattan Street in a $3,000 suit and then climbed a tree in Central Park. It just isn't done. Well, Zacchaeus, he climbs a sycamore fig tree. It has low branches. Remember, Zacchaeus isn't that tall, so that helps him out. And then there are these dense leaves, so it's easy for him to hide. Zacchaeus does not want to be seen by the crowd. Let's keep reading together. Luke chapter 19, verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Now, in that moment, everyone, and I mean everyone, would have anticipated Jesus to curse and shame Zacchaeus, to be at the center of public ridicule. This is a moment to reinforce the cultural boundaries in a collective society, to highlight his revolution and speak of how traitors like these would one day be expelled from his coming kingdom. Bailey, in his brilliant work, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, he captures the sentiment of the day. And he says that everyone had expected Jesus to say something like this. Let's listen in. Zacchaeus, you are a collaborator. You are an oppressor of these good people. You have drained the economic lifeblood of your people and given it to the imperialists. You have betrayed your country and your God. This community hatred of you is fully justified. You must quit. You repent. Journey to Jerusalem from ceremonial purification. Return to Jericho and apply yourself to keeping the law. If you are willing to do these things on my next trip to Jericho, I will enter you your newly purified house and offer my congratulations. Now that would have been a very common expectation from everybody who's watching this scene go down. But what does Jesus actually say? Look with me back at the text. Luke chapter 19, verse 5. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. You see, you can kind of almost feel the disturbing looks in the text of the crowd, and you can feel their hostility. All the glares of shame directed at Zacchaeus are now directed 
at Jesus. I mean, does he even know? Does he know whose house he's stepping into? The honor of such a man now being displayed towards the shameful, such as Zacchaeus. I mean, literally, the grums are, grumbles, the grums? <laughs> the grumbles are so loud, they're recorded for us in verse 7. And to be clear, Jesus doesn't endorse the oppression or condone his actions. But he also doesn't oppress or ostracize the oppressor either, which is really astounding. Jesus' strategy to this oppressor, oppressor is to extend gracious honor. For Jesus' kingdom, it works different than the rest of the ways of the world. So how does Jesus imagine this playing out? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But first notice, he knows Zacchaeus' name before he's even met him. It's as if Luke, besides Zacchaeus' desire to see Jesus, wants us to realize that Jesus has been walking throughout all of Jericho looking for Zacchaeus specifically. And as much as Zacchaeus wants to catch a glimpse of Jesus, Jesus wants Zacchaeus all the more. Jesus wants to be with Zacchaeus. Do you see that? This means Jesus wants to be with you more than you want to be with him. As much as you may be seeking, as much as you may be searching, or even as diligent as you have been in, in reading, Jesus still wants to be with you way more than you want to be with him. Imagine that. Few people in the world have the kind of status that merits an audience with a king or a queen. But here, Jesus, the promised son of David, seeks out those who have the worst reputations, who have done the most awful things, and he's willing to be with them to take on their shame, to see and feel that it is one of the greatest catalysts to joy in their lives. Because, and this is important, Jesus is always willing to be with the willing. He's always willing to be with the willing. Those who are looking for Jesus will find him. And so I want you to ask yourself, are you willing to humbly seek Jesus? Are you willing to humbly seek him? If your heart aches for joy, you're searching for him. If your mind is seeking truth, you're looking for him. If your soul is searching for wholeness, you're looking for him. He's the answer to all this and more. So how far will you go to see him? Well, before you answer that, um, I think you should know what happens when you do get a glimpse of Jesus. Let's take a look. What happens when the king goes to your house? Well, Zacchaeus, he just wanted to see Jesus. That was it. But Jesus actually had some other plans. Jesus creates space for Zacchaeus to respond to this honor or to live into it or up to it. Weird as this may seem for us as Westerners, Zacchaeus actually responds with announcing reparations for those he has wronged. Even more than that, there's this massive gift to the poor. Grace, it's always, it always acts before earning, but it does invite a response. Not a repayment, because there's no way we can repay grace. This isn't something we've earned, but it does offer a responsibility. And this response will be costly, it will be radical, and it will be tangible. You see, the moment our response to Jesus is merely an abstraction, we've actually misunderstood the power of grace and are not following a real Jesus. Look at this. What happens to Zacchaeus? We see it here in the text. He goes from being a tax collector to a philanthropist. He goes from seeing his wealth for himself to his wealth for others. He goes from being a sinner to being saved, from lost to being found. And it's then, this is really important in terms of the timeline and the flow of the narrative, 
that after Zacchaeus has shown in his honorable action that he has indeed received the honorable grace of the king, then, and only after this, by the way, does Jesus say salvation has come to this house. You see, then does Jesus restore Zacchaeus' identity as belonging to God's people when he calls him a son of Abraham there in verse 9. Now, would Jesus have said these things had Zacchaeus professed that Jesus is a good teacher but did not repent? All we must do is return to the rich ruler back in chapter 18 to discover our answer. You see, we want to get a glimpse of Jesus to explore him. But Jesus wants to save more of us than we want at first. Jesus wants to save more of us than we want at first. Now, I'm sure Zacchaeus didn't wake up that morning thinking, I sure hope I see Jesus today so I'll finally have a pretext for getting around to giving up all my ill-gotten wealth. That wasn't his first thought when he woke up that morning. Yet when Jesus honors us with his presence, when we see that kind of love protecting us, pursuing us, shared with us, when we don't deserve it, it does something in us and through us. And yet, look at all that Jesus does in this one space with Zacchaeus. He provides a way, number one, for there to be restitution for the poor in that community through Zacchaeus. Can you just imagine there's a family that's barely making it, praying to Yahweh, please God deliver us. And Zacchaeus returns the money he had stolen. And they're thinking, who did this? King Jesus through Zacchaeus. The response of the people is to recognize, they would have recognized God working in this moment. But this was only possible because of Zacchaeus's repentance. Maybe our repentance should be for those around us before it is even thought of being for us. I wonder where our lack of repentance in the U.S. or in Kansas City is costing our neighbors. Secondly, it provides number two for reconciliation in a fragmented community. When Jesus creates the space for Zacchaeus to own his response to grace and repent in real radical ways for his evil, he's actually opening the doors for Zacchaeus to be relationally welcomed back in. Jesus then calls him a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus, he had forfeited all he has, which the rich ruler earlier could not, to surrender it to Jesus. And just like Abraham did all the way back in Genesis when he left his family and his wealth behind and went to a land he had not yet known, all because God had called him to, all based upon a promise. And on top of that, this is a statement about Zacchaeus' restoration to that community in that time. Jesus is paving the way for reconciliation. He's actually opening the doors when Zacchaeus makes a restitution for the wrongs he's done and actually giving him the space so that it's actually Zacchaeus' idea so that he can know reconciliation and be part of the people of God once again. So that's the second thing. And then thirdly, yes, it has eternal implications. Zacchaeus has bowed the knee to King Jesus and his kingdom agenda, which results in the flourishing of all aspects of our lives. Zacchaeus has experienced the inbreaking of Jesus' kingdom, which will know no end, and he is now a citizen of heaven. Now, once again, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. As we hear that phrase, sometimes we don't even realize how we're bringing our own Western individualistic frameworks to such a crucial statement about who Jesus is and his kingdom. One is just how we interpret save. 
we can come with very individualistic categories. We can think save only involves this part of my life when Jesus wants to save it all, or even have some saving good repercussions on those around us. We miss this partly because we've misunderstood the good news of the kingdom. Jesus was proclaiming and bringing the gospel of the kingdom on display in Luke chapter 8. And for that, I think we need to do a little bit of paradigm shifting. Um, I grew up hearing a really helpful illustration of what Jesus came to do. Um, It's helpful, but it's also incomplete. And it goes like this. I grew up hearing that I am on one side of a canyon too large to cross on my own. It was because of all my own sin and destructive behaviors that I stood there. On the other side of the canyon was God. He stands there in his holiness and perfection. No matter how many good things I did, I could not cross this God-sized canyon. So when Jesus died for my sins on the cross, if I trust in him, I'm able to be reconciled with God. My sins are paid for and forgiveness is freely offered because of Jesus' death in my place. Jesus' death actually becomes the bridge to reconciliation with God. And my faith is walking across and trusting Jesus' death as paying for my debt. And now I get to spend eternity with him in heaven. End of good news. Now, this is a crucial part of the gospel message, but it is not all the good news of the gospel. And frankly, it's partly because of this incomplete gospel that so many have been led to think that they can live just how they want or remain isolated from the church and still be a part of the gospel that Jesus came to bring. For that, we need to move from a bridge to actual circles. From a bridge to actual circles. Yes, What we see as the starting point for so many in terms of our experience is that we are damaged by evil and sin. We feel it. No matter your faith persuasion, we know that there are parts of the world that feel deeply broken that must be righted. And this is at the heart of so much of the call for justice that's on the forefront of so many minds these days. But this evil separates us not only from God, but also from each other, creation writ large, and even fragmentation within our own hearts and souls personally. You see, when Jesus came, he came to restore the good we were designed for in the beginning, which encompasses all of these areas. Reconciliation with God, yes, but also with others, with broader creation care, and yes, even within ourselves. And then we aren't just saved from evil, but also for good, to be agents of this reconciliation the world over, the Apostle Paul says, which means that we take up our cross and follow Jesus in suffering to participate in Jesus' kingdom agenda of robust healing. This is the salvation Jesus came to bring. This is his kingdom agenda. This is the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. This is what Jesus came and did actually in Zacchaeus. And so I want to ask each and every one of us and myself is, where is the king still wanting to save you? Where is the king still wanting to save you? Maybe it's first realizing that Jesus is looking for you just as you are looking for him. Remember, Jesus is, he's not looking for good or perfect people. Our king Jesus has come to seek and save the lost and often the worst If you will receive him into your life, your home, your everything, he'll not be embarrassed by you. He will not turn away from you. He will not be ashamed of you. He's actually looking for you. And he wants to be with you more than you even want to be with him, if you are willing. 
And part of that willingness is a willingness to engage in costly, radical repentance. Jesus shows radical mercy to those humble enough to receive it. And simultaneously, he always calls us to radical repentance. He doesn't want to just give you a gift. He wants to invite you to follow him in that vein out of that gift. That's the beauty of God's generosity is that it actually brings new life over the long haul in the process of walking with him. Maybe the king wants you to make amends for wrongs you have committed against others and so experience reconciliation. Are there areas you need to admit wrong? Are there ways you can make amends? Zacchaeus admitted he crossed the line and he made a way of restitution. Jesus is a passionate about this and his kingdom agenda. Maybe the king wants to work through you in changing the way you work on Monday to bring life to colleagues, employees, or even your employer. We don't see that Zacchaeus actually quit his job, but what does become clear is that it changes how he does his job. Extortion, oppression, and intimidation are gone. Now, ask yourself, is there a facet of your Monday life that Jesus wants to save you into? Because please hear me, Jesus didn't come to make us comfortable with our sin. He came to save us from it and out of it. That his kingdom agenda, that his gospel of the kingdom might be more proclaimed and brought. And so his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can you just imagine if as Christians, wherever we were raised and wherever we were placed, we raised the bar, not just on personal piety, but also everyday ethics, reconciliation, creation care, and communal justice with the proclamation of Jesus and his sufficient work on the tip of our tongue. If we can come to embrace what Jesus has proclaimed, the gospel of the kingdom, then in the past, if we just look over some different industries, Christians in finance would have chosen to buck industry standards during redlining and rather choose to seek equitable housing opportunities for folks regardless of the color of their skin. And the generational impact of economic growth in communities of color would change the landscape of our nation. In the present, Christians in finance would avoid investing in and settling with payday loans with exorbitant interest rates that enslave people in debt as the only option in quote-unquote high-risking lending communities that just so happen to be consistently in communities of color and rather seek to make normal banks available and alternative lending options known. Moving forward, Christians wouldn't confuse admittance of wrongdoing in the past with repentance and wouldn't be satisfied with their own responses until restitution was made, knowing that this is the pathway of deep reconciliation, joy, and the kingdom come. If we could grasp, if we could receive and understand and live into the gospel of the kingdom, sure there'd be costs, but the benefits for you, the benefits for me, the benefits for our community, our nation, our world, would shake the very foundations of injustice, and also roll in whole new rivers of righteousness. And the witness of the church would blaze like a fire. This is the King Jesus the rich ruler couldn't embrace, but tax collectors followed. This is the King Jesus Pharisees hated, but beggars cried out his name. When the King finds you, his kingdom agenda is to save more than you. Are you willing to be saved like this? Where does the King still want to save you? He's willing, if you are. Let's pray. 
Dear God, thank you so much uh, for this beautiful but also difficult and challenging word. We are reminded that our salvation has nothing to do with our entitlement or our earning, but it's purely by your grace. And when we've received this astounding gift, it doesn't leave us motionless, but by the power of your spirit actually equips us for a deep responsibility to be about your work, even now in every sector, in every sphere, in all aspects of our lives. So God, would you empower us? Would you guide us? Would you equip us for the good works you've called us to do, driven by grace, rather than trying to justify our own existence? We can only do that when we rest in you. May it be true and may your name be honored this world over in the faithfulness and fruitfulness of your church. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And amen. Well, now we turn to a meal that literally equalizes the table for all. And everyone who receives Jesus is nourished in this kingdom work. We all come in the same fashion with arms open, undeserved of the meal before us but willing to receive by grace. It's through common broken bread that we remember Jesus' body broken for us, and through common juice we remember his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. If you have elements available to you and you have some other members of your household, whether it be friends or family who are nearby, I'd encourage you to gather them together as followers of Jesus and to remember Jesus in this important, ordained way that he's invited us to do as often as we do partake in the Lord's Supper. But before we do, let's remember what Jesus said about the Lord's Supper and guided us to remember. For the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whenever you're ready. Please come. 